0: It makes your day-to-day easier and gives
2: you the freedom to focus on what really matters, your future.
1: Grow your business without the grind in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started.
0: One of my colleagues in the orchestra, Alan Kay, who's a wonderful clarinetist, he says he he still remembers his first Orpheus rehearsal, the first time he played with Orpheus. And he goes into this room and there are all these people just kind of talking and he, he doesn't even know that that's the actual rehearsal. <laughs> when he leaves and uh, a colleague yeah a colleague of him said well that was rehearsal it just ended
3: (laughs) hey everybody welcome to the show this is brave new work a podcast about reinventing our organizations and the search for a more adaptive and human way of working i'm aaron dignan and i'm joined by my echoey co-host rodney Evans.
1: hey everybody
3: we are also joined today by Jim Wilson, a cellist with the Orpheus Chamber Orchestra and one of the Grammy Award winning group's three artistic directors, as well as Alexander Shire Lee, who is the executive director of Orpheus. So Jim and Alexander, welcome to the show.
0: Thank you. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. On today's episode, we're going to talk about
3: what decentralization can look like in a different kind of system, specifically in a chamber orchestra. So really interesting example of what self-management looks like in the musical world. And for those of you that listen to the show, you remember a recent episode about music as well. Before we get into all that, though, we should check in. So Rodney,
2: take us there. We
1: should check in. So we will do a check-in round as we always do. And the check-in round question for today is this one. What is your favorite book and why is that? And we will go, Aaron then James, then me, then Alexander. What's your favorite book in why?
3: Lately, I would have to say it is the Parenting Dao Te Ching, which is a kind of like philosophical rip on the classic you know, Asian philosophy book, but runs through the lens of what it's like to be a parent. And it is incredibly relieving because it basically tells you to calm down. The, the theme of the book is relax, let go, everything will unfold, let the river flow. Uh, which is very reassuring compared to all the other parenting books that are like, do this, do that. They make sure that everything's
0: perfect. So
3: that's the one that has my heart right now.
1: Nice. James?
0: Oh, man. <laughs> you know, I minored in English literature in college. And to this day, my favorite book is Pride and Prejudice. <laughs> and it's a real Orphean thing, I think, because, you know, the book is about like, don't judge a book by a cover until you work with that person and get to know them and find out all their strengths.
1: So good. I have a million favorites, but there is one fiction book that I come back to maybe every five or six years. That's called the secret history by Donna Tartt. And I just find it to be the perfect combination of suspense and new England stuff, which is where I'm from and boarding school, which is one of my favorite settings for anything mysterious to happen And um, I'm not a big re-reader generally, but I make an exception for that particular piece of fiction. Alexander, what about you?
2: Same, many books, but I think my probably the most most favorite book that I also come back reading every once in a while is *Bald and Light We Cannot See* by Anthony Doerr. So the story about a blind person, blind kid in 1940s occupied France, and it's just, it's I think it's just so fascinating advocate maneuvers around all these obstacles. And uh, as these other heightened senses, and uh, you know, Orpheus has played with this Japanese pianist by the name of Yuki Tzuchi, who was who's blind since birth, and he plays piano like no one else. And it's un- un- unbelievable. And so that's the connection for me. It's just I don't know how these people do it. And so it's just, just
3: admiration here. That's incredible. Yeah, I love that. Alright, well, now we have some new, new things to read. Now that we're checked in and present and have dealt with all the shenanigans of getting rolling, today's topic is music and self-management and what happens when the two combine. And so we actually wanted to start by asking you, how is the Orpheus Chamber Orchestra different than most other orchestras? I think we know a, a little bit of the answer, but we want to unpack that. What about the group has made you know two org design nerds, that's us, uh, so excited to chat with you today? Maybe James, if you can start and then, and then Alexander, you know, fill in the gaps.
0: Right. Well, Orpheus Chamber Orchestra is known for being the first really successful orchestra that does not play with a conductor. And so the leadership duties within the orchestra are distributed among all the members, rather than just from one central person standing in the middle of the orchestra. And this has made it very unique. And it's it's kind of that concept of shared leadership in rehearsal and in concert fans out into all the other aspects of the organization, including the way it's run, meetings, <laughs> um, and the the governance structure of the orchestra.
3: There are meetings in orchestras. I didn't even think of that.
0: Alexander what would you add what it, how is it possible to
3: have a, an orchestra without a conductor
2: yeah I mean often we're being described as conductorless which is not entirely true <laughs> we don't have this one single person that's in front standing in front of the orchestra waving the, the arms but when you don't have a conductor you have to distribute all the the leadership that goes into a position of conductor amongst uh, the other members of the orchestra but what's so different is that Yeah, we do have a hierarchy, but it's always ever only temporary. So we switch leadership roles, even within the concert and people rotate their positions. And I think that is completely unique.
1: That's awesome. So, Orpheus is celebrating its 50th anniversary this year. Congratulations. That's so Thank you. amazing. Thank uh, you. Can you take us back in time a little and tell us about how and why this group was originally founded? And, you know, besides making beautiful music, what was the orchestra's original purpose?
2: Yeah, I can answer that question because I've I've met with Julian Pfeiffer, uh, the founder of Orpheus, quite, quite a few times within the past year. So, Julian set out to he was going to to large orchestral concerts and what he didn't like was that how how the energy was falling off the further you look back like at the at the player sitting further in the back so there was a lot of energy right in the center of the group, but then even you know less so the further you went back and so he said why is that and he wanted to to preserve that energy that goes from the principal players into the piece and and the work and and so he asked a, a group of his you know, his, his friends said, would you like to play occasional music with me? Just like we do with chamber music, where there's not one leader, but everyone is on the same level, operating on the same level, same energy, same responsibility, same ownership. And for that, there can't be a conductor. And so, so that was really the experiment. It was radical at the time. No one had ever done that. And obviously, you know, people laughed at him Orpheus was still called. But very soon after they got together and rehearsed and played the first concert, I mean, everyone was looking at the, like, wow, this is, this is different. This is really unique and fantastic.
3: So I'm, I'm curious that we were looking at the website building on, on what you were just sharing in that history. And the, the site says that Orpheus Chamber Orchestra is a radical experiment in musical democracy and democracy is not a word that we hear a lot in chamber orchestra. Um, how do democratic principles show up day to day? you You sort of hinted that you meet differently and and manage differently. But what does it actually look like if I were to follow the you know the experience of being in the orchestra for a week? What would I see? what What plays on the screen?
0: i think I think if you were to be in the orchestra for a week, at least the first day would seem rather chaotic to you. <laughs> And you know, it's the, the saying is that democracy can sometimes be messy, and definitely in, in Orpheus, it, it can. So when we go to a to work on a piece, everybody is bringing all of their thirty three different <laughs> uh, interpretations of of the music and what they really want out of it, what they love about the piece, what they, what they don't like, um, and all their priorities. And then through the rehearsal process that we have, we kind of shift that collective bag of ideas around and we come up with an interpretation. And this is led in part by kind of the leadership structure of the orchestra, where the concertmaster, so first chair, first violin, who's usually the star <laughs> of a symphonic orchestra. Um, in our orchestra, the concertmaster is kind of like the referee and will manage a lot of the discussion and will make priority decisions about all the ideas that come forth. So if there's an idea that is just taking too much time or is not popular, the concertmaster will say, okay, let's go on. And then they also look at the time and make sure that the rehearsals are well managed that way. And, and going down from the concert master, there are the section leaders within the orchestra. So within each string section and the winds as well. And they also act as kind of funnels for the information and are filtering what works and what doesn't all the time.
1: That's really cool. I'm curious, just to tie together a couple of things that we've already heard from you. So the observation that things got a little... Looser or less engaging as you worked your way back through the section. Uh, So, like distance from explicit power holder in the conductor did something, and then also I'm curious about this dynamic of someone like the concertmaster. The the difference in in a role like that or a section leader holding power, who's actually like also part of the section and also a player in the ensemble, versus a conductor who's sort of outside of the work. Like like what are some of your observations about about that dynamic?
0: Yeah, that's a, you know, that's a really interesting thing that you just said, because I also do a little bit of conducting in my professional life. And I find that that is the most, um, how do I put it? You're, you're also dealing with a lot of performance issues, performative issues uh, when you're the conductor. So I'm not sure how objective a conductor can be, Yeah, <laughs> you know, in real life, because they're also part of the performance. And one of the things I really appreciate about Orpheus compared to other orchestras is say, if I'm sitting first chair cello, the people behind me, and you know, we're very small, so there'll be at most three other cellists, the people behind me are playing probably 300%, (laughs) um, so that the first chair cellist can concentrate on other things rather than, you know, just physically playing the cello. So like leading keeping time, keeping track and all that kind of stuff. And that, that I find very different. So that, that's also why we have this kind of the real power structure of the orchestra comes from the back of the orchestra rather than the front.
3: That's, that's so unusual. Yeah. All these inversions playing out. I, I hear Jim, that you played your first Orpheus concert in 2006. So what, you know, 15, 16 years ago, how did you hear about it and what attracted you to it? Did you know much about working in this different way before you became a member? What was that kind of attraction and early onboarding experience like for you?
0: Yeah, would you like to hear the full (laughs) origin story? (laughs) (laughs) So, so, um, you know, uh, I grew up, I'm 57 now. Uh, when I was 15, my mom took me to hear Orpheus in Ann Arbor, Michigan, where I grew up. And it was uh, electrifying, I have to say. And You know, it didn't look like any other orchestra. The, the musicians moved around a lot. They, they wore really interesting clothes. <laughs> I remember nice. that. Um, and it just had this really cool kind of, you know, New York City, sophisticated vibe, loose vibe. And, and that was really impactful for me, you know, being in a, in a small town that was very musically active, but rather conservative, I would say, you know, as far as the kinds of groups it had going through it at the time. And then of course, you know, Orpheus when I was in college then was recording all of its really famous, you know, repertoire for Deutsche Grammophon and coming out with, you know, multiple CDs every year. And, and they were always the best, you know, if you wanted the best performance of X piece, you bought Orpheus. And so when I relocated to New York city, this is probably 2004 professionally. Uh, I had a lot of friends in the music world and some of them had connections with Orpheus and so. In Orpheus, we're always looking around for talented people to play with us. And somebody recommended, I think Todd Phillips, who's one of our violinist members, recommended me to play with the group. And uh, it was terrifying. Can I tell you that? (laughs) First, very first rehearsal, I had to lead the, well, we'll get into that probably later, but I had to lead a core rehearsal, which is where you just have single strings on a part rather than the whole section. And that's where you really kind of in, uh, do bare bones interpretation of a piece initially. So I had to lead that for my very first rehearsal with Orpheus and it was rather intense, very fun. And I was you know impressed right away with how great the musicians worked together and how fast the work went. That was the other thing that was really breathtaking. Cause I had come from a, a career in a professional string quartet and also a uh, teaching on the college level, on the university level. And both of those things are very t- labor intensive. Um, you get used to taking your time and <laughs> working with students or your colleagues in a very kind of timeless way to make s- stuff the best. And with Orpheus, it was very quick and very excellent work. So yeah, so that was my first experience with Orpheus.
1: That's so cool. So so besides the, the quickness and the effortlessness, I'd love to hear from each of you. Maybe we can start with Alexander. What has surprised you most about being part of this organization?
2: Yeah, well, I've been, before I came to Orpheus, like, of course, I'd known about Orpheus for many decades. and But I only knew it from the outside, listening to recordings and hearing them in concerts. Um, what I was most surprised by was the intensity really that's going on. There's, there's, just so much emotion, sometimes drama, even good and bad, obviously, but it's just, it's so intense. Like everyone is so involved and feels so responsible. And it's just this, this, this incredible ownership that, you know, I mean, we would just work together so hard and, and figure out problems and deal with issues in such a such a collaborative way that and everyone's pulling in the same direction i want to say and then it, that that really surprised me i mean you can you can see it when you go to a concert or a fierce concert you, obviously it's audible i mean that's why people come and know that this is a very special group they don't know what's going on behind the scenes which was my situation when i came it's so what you see in a concert is it's very intense and very emotional and fantastic but behind the scenes, it's even more so, and I think that was surprising.
3: Jim, would you add anything to that about your surprises?
2: Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I'm have
0: I'm kind of smiling here behind the microphone <laughs> at Alexander's uh, comments about how intense it is because the yeah, it's really intense, man. And you know, I f- referred to earlier about you know we 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 all have we have a lot of meetings together in different committees and different groups and you know board meetings and everything and the, the, yeah the intensity is there through all of that and it's 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 interesting i've gotten i've gotten very used to it that's one thing about being in orpheus is that you have to get used to having a thick skin and kind of holding on to your ideals <laughs> but knowing when to let go and And knowing that letting go actually benefits things rather than destroys them. <laughs> I so,
3: holding under the the like you know, principles and ideals part, I'm interested about that in the sense that you've been practicing and playing this way now for a long time. Has that actually crept out into changing how you think about other systems, other places in the world, other things that you interact with? are you are you bringing this Orpheus ideology with you when you? close the cello case.
0: That's such an interesting question. I you know I, I I do find that I have to check myself when I'm in other groups or rehearsal situations that that I I don't always in Orpheus we you know you're allowed to be very quick with bringing your ideas up and it's it's really that's our etiquette. And so I have to, I've, I've I find that I have to really Take a moment and be quiet in other situations to kind of judge what the etiquette with those would be rather than with with the ones I'm used to with orpheus but but i I also have to say it's really taught me to be gosh, how do I put this like the boldness of listening this may be the way I can describe it in my in other situations like like you know, I run a chamber music series down in Richmond Virginia, and i've I've found that I listen. To what people say very intensively now, more than I used to, um, and really try to incorporate what I find exciting or fresh from other people into what i do
1: and and just to to sort of continue on on this track, you know it, it A lot of the adjectives you all use to describe Orpheus culturally feel very familiar, I think, to Aaron and I in terms of just being part of a self-managing system. And so, you know, the intensity, the high degree of responsibility or ownership, you know, the emotion that goes into nurturing this group. And, And yet when we look at the world and we look at, you know, a lot of corporate systems and political systems and family systems and educational systems, those are exactly the things that people are after and not really able to cultivate. So like, I'm curious for each of you who are intentional org designers in your own world, um, how do you think other people should start on the journey to have what you have?
2: First of all, and most importantly, you have to have the right people. It's not for everyone. Some people just want to be told what to do and want to be followers. But Orpheus, that wouldn't work. You have to be able to do both. You have to be a leader and a follower. So you have to, you have to have the right people in your team. Secondly, preparation and knowledge, I think is critical. Um, like compared to traditional orchestras where everyone gets like their own part, like let's say you're an oboe player, and so you get your oboe part and you pre- prepare it before the first rehearsal and you know your part really well, but just your oboe part with Orpheus, everyone gets the full score. So everyone knows what everyone else is playing. So that's information that often in teams is not available to everyone, right? So that's critical that there's the the information is being disseminated amongst all the team members. You have the right people, and then what's also important is how you interact, how you criticize if necessary, how you take criticism from others, and how to to learn together and solve a problem and work together. So those three are I, I would say really the the, the core qualifications that define Orpheus and and the work that Orpheus is doing and why it works for Orpheus. But I can also tell you that that has not always been the case. It took Orpheus a long time to, to really polish all those and and figure out, you know, who, who the members, what, what the members need to bring to the group and and what the best ways to collaborate in this, in this kind of environment.
3: Yeah. I mean, the long the long journey of polishing is something that we've heard from almost every guest on the show. It's when you're building an emergent <laughs> system, you're spending a yeah. lot of time tuning the instrument, so to speak. No, no pun right. intended. Um, one thing that one thing that caught my eye was an article recently was written about about Orpheus, and they said, per the founding philosophy, Orpheus's 34 core members resist the usual corporate path of symphony orchestras and consider each other equals. So except for the musician that does some advanced work to adapt a composition, for example, each player, regardless of age, tenure or resume, earns the same pay for every concert and has a voice in all creative decisions. What I thought might be interesting is, I mean, certainly those ideas resonate with us. What is the usual corporate path of a symphony? How, how does a normal symphony work in terms of some of those structures and pays and, you know, tenure and age and all that so that we can understand how radical or how different these Orpheus practices are.
0: So, so in, in a, in a major symphony orchestra, first of all, the way you get into the orchestra is very different than what we do in Orpheus. So you have to audition and the, you know, we're talking about very few spots in the entire United States for a lot of musicians and so the audition process is very rigorous and and very difficult uh so it's very difficult to get into a major symphony orchestra to begin with and then once you do you do have a 10 year period where you play in the orchestra but they can let you go uh, unless you do well so that's that's one thing that's different than ours we we have um talk about polishing goodness you know, uh, with with our audition process, it's more like we invite people who we think are interesting people and good musicians. They play with us for years. Uh, we have them do everything, and then we in, and then we vote. The orchestra votes on whether they want this person in the orchestra, and then we call the person and ask them if they want to be in the orchestra. <laughs> so it's completely different and crazy <laughs> in a yeah. way, but it but it, it it works because you know the skill set needed for Orpheus is. It's quite different than a major symphony. Um, the, the other thing I, I might add personally is uh, I've never been a member in a major symphony orchestra I've played in in several as a substitute. And there you, you really feel very second class, if I might say, um, whereas in Orpheus, we are constantly inviting s- subs or uh, we call them guest, guest musicians in, and, and again, we treat them exactly the same and, and in fact, these days, we encourage them to speak up the most because we want to know who they are.
1: That's really interesting. I always feel like in any self-managing organization that we talk to or look at, the process of bringing people from outside to inside to like fully inside is always something that's really considered. So that it's, it's cool to hear the way in which y'all have, have tackled that. Another place I'd love to hear about some tactics is, is rehearsal. So, you know, if we were to be in your theater and and watching a rehearsal, what would we actually see? Like, is there a process that you follow? Is there a, is it the same every time? Are there dynamic roles that facilitate it? Um, Tell us a little bit about that.
0: Oh boy. (laughs) How many hours do we have? (laughs) It's a really complicated question (laughs) because you know, it, a lot of it depends on repertoire. So if, if say we're playing a Mozart symphony that we've played a lot and that the, the group has a lot of muscle memory playing and history, then the rehearsals can be very different than if it's a piece that's new to us. So we, we do a lot of kind of reading through, first of all, we'll, we'll re- what's called reading through a piece is where you just kind of cold, cold play it once. And then we get, and then we decide what to do, whether, you know, we read it again or do we work on things or do we have ideas? And probably initially, you'll find somebody who, who initially says what they don't like about what we just did. (laughs) And then, and then we go on to people getting more comfortable in the situation and also with the piece and just playing it. And then the ideas start to flow. And in our rehearsal process, we also have a term called designated listener, where we send, constantly people fr- who are playing in the orchestra we ask them to put down their instruments and walk out into the audience seats or to the end of the room or wherever we're rehearsing and they can provide an objective viewpoint on things like balance or tempo or color or something like that but it they're they're the objective view whereas all the work is still going on within the orchestra and sometimes it can be incredibly Chaotic. Like one of my colleagues in the orchestra, Alan Kay, who's a wonderful clarinetist, he says he he still remembers his first Orpheus rehearsal, the first time he played with Orpheus, and he goes into this room, and there are all these people just kind of talking, and there's so much talking, and he he doesn't even know that that's the actual rehearsal <laughs> when he leaves. And it, so a colleague, yeah, a colleague of him said, "Well, that was rehearsal; it just ended." <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> Did we do it? Yes, yeah. that's, that's awesome. It it also sounds like um, it sounds like you all have a fair amount of like reflection built in. Like you 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 do a rep, and then there is space to reflect. Both for the people who are in the experience, for an outside observer. How do you think about the ratio of like doing to reflecting? Is there one that you consider? Um,
0: I don't. I don't think uh, reflecting. Uh, uh, how do i put this so our 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 rehearsal process is i mean incredibly quick like i said and incredibly intense and it's always going on but within that rehearsal process you yourself can take a moment to think about well i really i don't think this sounds right to me yeah I have to formulate the words and you can do that. You know, you don't have to say anything. And then when you've found the words to describe how you want the music to sound and what, how you think we can get there, then you raise your hand or whatever. And then you ask for (laughs) that to happen. And sometimes it does, and sometimes it doesn't, and then you just have to let it go and join the, the flowing river of rehearsal again. The thing that
3: I heard you say that is so interesting to me is the ability for the member to put down their instrument and go listen. Because as I think about all the other groups and and teams and companies that we've worked with or had on the podcast, it's actually really hard to get get outside of yourself and like be a customer for a minute or be, you know, be outside of the team. So it seems like a unique superpower that you're able to switch gears and just be a listener because music is such a universal language and you can kind of just sit in a chair in the audience and suddenly you're an audience member um so I, I find that really really compelling and it makes me wonder if there are other ways to to bring that idea to other sorts of teams so they can experience something similar
0: yeah and it, it, you know it's uh, that aspect of our rehearsal is always fascinating to me because you really get to know what a person's like by what their comments are to the entire group and it always mm. downs me like one person will go out and will be rehearsing and we'll ask them what do they think and they're like oh well this doesn't line up with this or this sounds scrappy and then you'll ask another person to go out and they're like no you know (laughs) it should sound more like the magical
3: dissonance (laughs) right exactly like
0: a red orb of light you know or something like that Mm -hmm. And, and like you really get to know people's different styles and and those those styles they resonate with different people within the orchestra so there's enough styles populated within the orchestra where every comment works on some level.
2: Yeah. I mean, when you have, let's say you have five different orchestras playing the same Beethoven symphony, for instance, it will sound five times different and five times great. You know, there's a different approach to each problem, to each issue and, and the result will still be beautiful, even though it can be different and I now, this going out and listening is, you know, when you work on an, on an issue or, or you play it in an orchestra, and you're so busy right, handling this instrument. I mean, you're, you're an athlete and you're so involved. And then you put that instrument down, you step out and you look at it or hear it from the outside. That gives you a completely different perspective because you're not busy. You can just sit there and listen. And, you know, the same with us the administration. I mean, the same thing, just, you know, step out on the balcony and look down, you know, to the problem, what's going on and just take your time off. And I think it's, it's super important because if you're dealing with the problem actively, you you may not see things because you, you're just too busy.
3: Yeah, I love that. I love that flexibility and also the observation that, you know, what does good look like is a moving target? Like there are different expressions of, mm-hmm. of the music. Um, speaking of expressions, you know, Jim, you're one of three current artistic directors. And I assume that role has some has some influence and some some decision rights. How how does the group decide who fills those roles? What sorts of decision rights or power get baked into that position? And then how do you think about exercising that authority alongside all the other members in their own kind of autonomy?
0: Yeah, so so we're a, a democratic ensemble. So we actually elect the three artistic directors from within the orchestra and we, and we really do it. You know, we have to nominate people. They have to write, <laughs> they have to write like a, 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 statement of why they want that position. So they have to put it right out there to the orchestra and it's, I've, I've done it a couple of times, it's really scary. <laughs> um, and then, and then we elect a person and the, I, I know for my role. So each of the three artistic directors have a different area of, of specialty. So one is with repertoire, one is with personnel and one is coordinator. So I'm, I'm the artistic coordinator, artistic director. <laughs> and, uh, I find it tremendously fun. And I, also I really like thinking about the big picture, you know, we we can play different pieces here and there. And, you know, I, I love everything. I, I love all the people we work with, but, but what I really like to do is, is figure out, you know, what kind of orchestra do we want to be? What would make the orchestra special? Like what would make the audience really sit up and listen to us? What should we wear? <laughs> you know, all these things, uh, that, that really uh, speaks to me. The, Hard thing about the, the position is that it is, it is quite political. So you have to really get along with everybody. You have to, you have to be brave and go into situations with your colleagues sometimes where they see you as an adversary Sure. Um, and you have to find a way to deal with that situation. And I'm a fairly soft-spoken person, so I've, I've found my ways to deal with that over the years and that they, they will you know much to the frustration of some other people in the orchestra but but they work for me and I think they work for the orchestra too and the rest of the staff
1: Wait, do you have ter- like term limits? I need to know more about this multi-filled role.
0: Yeah, so it's 3 3-year term and so that means and they're staggered. So that means every year we're electing you know somebody Oh, um, smart.
1: That's um, has, cool.
0: Yeah, it's, it's, it's a great, and and you can rerun if you want to. I'm in my second term now as a director. Yeah.
1: That's awesome. Is there, is there incumbent power?
0: (laughs) I don't think anyone really holds the power in Orpheus chamber orchestra, (laughs) but you definitely, I mean, you definitely have, you can build on goodwill You can build on kind of projects that you've been working on for the past years, you know, so, so those kinds of things give you strength. And also you just know how things work. And, and I mean, it took me probably a year to learn the, the first time I served as artistic director, it took me a full year to learn how to do it. And then, and then the rest, the other two years were good. And so, and it's, it always changes. Especially lately, you know, with the pandemic and everything, it's, sure. it's a whole different ballgame right now. So.
1: Yeah, that's that's really cool. So so while we're on the topic of self-governing, I would love to hear a little bit about live shows. What might an audience see at a concert that they wouldn't see in a typical chamber orchestra's performance?
0: Alexander, do you want to take this one? I'm always in the orchestra. It would nice to
2: get the perspective of somebody who's, who watches it what What's so different? Is that the question from from other dream orchestras? when you go to a concert?
1: yeah, so so particularly, you know how do the how do the <clears> self-governing <throat> principles show up in a live show what What would be different if we were watching an Orpheus performance than than another orchestra's performance?
2: I, I think well first of all, the orchestra comes on stage together and bows together. so 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 visually, it's completely different uh, except that there's a conductor walking in and bowing and and taking over the reins, the area is taking over the reins, right? That's the first, the the first difference. Secondly, you hear it, you absolutely hear it because everyone is just so engaged. As I said earlier, it is so intense, the a good way intense. And if you were to close your eyes, you could always distinguish orchestras from any other chamber orchestra, In, in, in my opinion, because of how vivid and how lively and how it's just, just energetic it sounds. I mean, it's just, everyone is so into it and I think that's a major difference. And then also when, you know, when we have the soloists itself, oh yeah. Secondly, we leave the stage usually after each piece that we play. And the reason for that is that because when we come back, they sit in different chairs because they rotate leadership positions, right? So they leave the stage, come back and everyone sits in a different chair. And the second thing, and the third one is, you know, usually when you have an orchestral concert, the orchestra sits on stage for the piece with the soloist, and then the soloist comes on stage and takes the bow. Now with Orpheus, they all come in at the same time. They're clearly displaying that we are all on the same level, even though this person's a soloist, but we are all making music on the same level. We're equals, and we work together as collaborators. And that's, that's major, I think, really major. And, uh, yeah, most, so most can do it some kid, but, um, <laughs> uh, yeah, he works for, so that that's, I think those are the differences, at least from my perspective. How, how do you go about finding people
3: to play in an orchestra like this? Because you would think that the traditional orchestral track is training people not to do this. So you're looking for someone who is simultaneously a world-class musician, but also able to, to operate in a system that behaves this way. What have you learned about where to look and how to, how to filter for this?
0: I, th- I think we, 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 first of all, we look for people who, s- who sound great and who are, sound new, unique. So their playing has to have some kind of personality in it. They also have to have usually very strong chamber music backgrounds and for those of you that don't know what chamber music is it's it's things like string quartets and piano trios where it's a small group of players that again is a non conducted kind of self-led little group so they, they uh, usually we look for people with very strong skills with chamber music because then cuz we look at ourselves like like a big chamber music group self run that way. And then two, two other things that they have to be skilled at is, is communication, I think. So it it does not help the orchestra to have somebody grumpy (laughs) or or silent. Um, Yeah. So, so because it's an orchestra of ideas as well as playing and they also have to be good for lack of a better word, they have to be good citizens in the orchestra. You know, they have to, you have to feel like you can, they have your back if you need it. So th- th- that's fascinating. And uh, I know we've, we've, when we do, you know, look for people to spill, to fill open positions, it takes a long time because these people are very rare. They're very rare gems. Um, and not everybody can do it and you know. I've had my heart broken several times, where I think somebody will really fit in. And I really want them in the orchestra, and they just they don't work out. And then I have to think, okay, let that one go. We'll go on to the next hope.
3: <laughs> catch and release. Yeah, I have to admit when when I was scrolling through the website and I came upon the um, the Leadership Institute, my ears perked up big time because it sounds like you're helping corporate, educational, professional teams at, at you know significant companies that everybody's heard of learn from what has been figured out inside Orpheus. Are there any interesting stories or, or noticings from trainings that you've been a part of, either of you, that you've seen or, or facilitated?
2: So I've done many of these leadership trainings and, and so has Jim. Um, I'm usually the one on the panel partly moderating and then get to talk to, to, to participants later. And, you know, it's, it's always interesting to see for me Just like like, you know, maybe you, when you, when you heard about us, you, we went to our website and couldn't really wrap your head around, you know, how, how does that even work? And so we come to these, you know, often it's corporations or banks or hospitals or, you know, Iceland air, for instance, had the entire <laughs> co- corporate board with us and, um, in, So do you think, well, what does music have to do with us, right? Nothing you think, but it's everything, how you collaborate, how you talk to each other, how you exchange ideas and all of that sort of stuff. We use music as a vehicle. And so, so what I experience when we, when we work with companies is that at first there's this hesitation, like, oh, that won't work for us. So, you know, we would never work for my team, my company. And we start talking, we start showing them how, how we do it. And we, we make a point of saying. It's, it, you know, it's not black and white. You don't have to do it like a hundred percent like we do it. You don't even have to do it at all. I mean, it, you know, there's there's fantastic symphony orchestras out there that are conducted, they play beautifully, so it does work. It's just completely a different approach. And, and it's a pleasant approach for the people working there, working in our orchestra, making music with us. And it could be a beautiful approach for you too, because it makes everyone feel elevated and being part of it. And, and so and that's what they didn't realize. And, you know, sometimes I get comments like, well, my boss would never sign up for this. But, well, maybe not for the entire company, but start with smaller teams and, you know, and and, and just, just put the right people in the right team and then and then find a different way. And that's where we really, so when they leave, they're fascinated. By the time they leave, they're fascinated by it, just the thought of it. And I talk a lot about this leadership program, I guess one point a few years ago, we had a TEDx talk about Orpheus and same thing afterwards. A lot of these people in the audience that are you know, working for various companies came to me and, and really the, the, the main comments that I got was like, it's fascinating, but like in my company, it would not work, but my boss would not allow it. And that, I think that's where we have to <laughs> stop working on, you know, get the right people, the right leadership positions. So that they leave their ego at the door and allow other structures and other hierarchies, you know, and other ways to, to be successful.
3: All the, all the listeners that have been with us for a while are smiling ear to ear right now, because you're just <laughs> lifting words out of our mouths that we have said time and time again. So it's, we're really appreciating the, the synchronicity here.
1: It sounds to us like you all have done a lot of experimentation to get to this point. It sounds like it was not, you know, Unsurprisingly, you didn't get this wonderfully emergent thing through a long and complicated plan. Sounds like you all have been in this experiment together. What do you what do y'all think is next? What's the next evolution for Orpheus?
2: Well, from my perspective, if I if I may start, it's you know, the way our orchestras perform and present their music has been pretty much the same for hundreds of years. And I think that that won't continue because we don't want to end up being museums where people go to and say, oh yeah, yeah, sure. You know, remember <laughs> it's, I think orchestra is, you know, back then, 100 years ago, we're like a church in town, right? Where everyone would go to when there's a concert and congregate and meet and socialize. And it was like an event. Now, these days it's, it's, I think an orchestra always has had a responsibility within the community, their own community. and. So the society at large, and it's not just the music making, it's, it's, it's much greater than that and much broader in your impact on the community is, is if you don't do community outreach, community engagement, and I'm not just talking about educational programs for children, it's every segment of your community. I think that is really important to keep the music relevant, use the music again as a vehicle. To get to the members of your community and see what they need and what you can provide for them and I'm not saying that we all of a sudden should just you know bake bread or something no that what we do is make music but what what do the the members of our community really need from us and I can give you a quick example of how Orpheus has been slowly pivoting into uh, having a greater community impact many years ago you know our programming discussions always anchor around Okay, how can we attract a, a larger audience to our Carnegie Hall concerts or our concerts? Oh, and we never talk about the people that no longer can come to our concerts—elderly or disabled or whatever it is—and so five by five years ago, so we 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 started honing in on a on on, a, on pocketed our community people living with Alzheimer's and other dementia illnesses. Those are people that would no longer come to your concerts because of potential reactions they would show to certain music they may remember from their past, tears, cries, sh- shouting, whatever it is, or just happiness, give you anything. And so we started working out uh, together with organizations that work with uh, uh, people living with Alzheimer's. We became members of the Alzheimer Foundation US. and and other organizations. And so we we created this program called Orpheus Reflections. We trained our musicians what, you know, what to expect from these people and to come to the concert or to the event. And it, it has been so immensely meaningful. It has really changed the organization from the inside out. Just how we perceive ourselves, because you would see an organization, an orchestra like Orpheus that plays on all those shiny stages all around the world as I don't know, dozens of records has won grammy awards and all of a sudden you know the group of musicians plays in senior citizen homes or or other places where there's no applause or there's maybe no reaction or bad reaction sometimes even or an uncontrollable reaction and and it's been so immensely meaningful to just come down you know and and just be a human being a good citizen and go to these people that really need you that You know really benefit from what you do because you will change the quality of their lives right even only momentarily but that's so important and i think for all orchestras out there it is so critical to to remember that you know what an orchestra used to be and and what the responsibility really is it is not just playing concerts it's not so for us really as we think about our next 50 years it it, it really anchors around the relevance of Orpheus within its group. I
3: think going from the, how we work innovation to thinking about where, where we work and who can partake is a really interesting twist. And I think it's a really, it's actually a pretty nice place to, to drop things to a close today as we approach the top of the hour. So Jim and Alexander, where can our listeners find out more about each of you and your work with Orpheus?
0: You can go to the orpheusnyc.org website and find out everything you want to find out about the orchestra.
2: You can always send us emails. You can call us. We're always there. If you want to know more about it, learn more about it. If you have questions, please just never hesitate to email or call. We're always there.
1: Awesome. Well, this was really fun for us. Thank you both so much for joining us today.
2: Oh, our pleasure. Thank you. It's great talking to you
1: and for our listeners if you enjoyed what you were hearing today a review would mean so much to us or please forward this show on to someone who needs it maybe a wonderful classical musician who is looking to work in self-management
3: <laughs> that's a narrow sliver but we're making it bigger day by day aren't we folks um a quick tip in the hat to taylor marvin for making us sound good today brave new work is produced by the ready where we help organizations around the world change the way they work and play music together. Get in touch with us by emailing podcast at the ready.com. And as for you, thanks for listening. Now go change something.